Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, September 8th, 2023. I'm Brian Peterangelo, and welcome to the podcast. With me today, I would like to introduce our panel of investing experts here to provide their insights on this week's market activity and more. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our Key Questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. In addition, if you have any questions or need more information, please reach out to your financial advisor. Taking a look at this week's economic news, the calendar was very light for the week, so let's focus on three data points, the first beginning with the Fed's Beige Book Report, which shows economic activity over the entire United States. In that light, it showed most districts indicated economic growth was modest during July and August. Consumer spending on tourism was stronger than expected, but other retail spending continued to slow, especially on non-essential items. Job growth was subdued across the nation, and although hiring slowed, most districts indicated imbalances persisted in the labor market as the availability of skilled workers and the number of applicants remained constrained. Consistent with that report, the weekly initial unemployment claims for the week ending September 2nd actually went down to 216,000. In addition, the four-week moving average was also remaining lower at 229,000 roughly. So those indicate that the job market continues to be tight in spite of a slowing economy. And finally, the services sector PMI or the Purchasing Manager Index for the services economy actually increased for the most part of every single month for 2023, showing that we're there an expansionary opportunity within the overall services sector, which is slightly different than what we're seeing in the manufacturing sector, which is showing a contracting economy. That being said, let's take a look at what's happening in the overall stock market with Steve Haight in his observations, what he's seeing and what it might mean for investors. Steve? Well, Brian, it's been an interesting week. We we started the week out uh, close to uh, where we were in uh, early summer, uh, earlier in the summer, uh, as we rallied back to fairly significant overhead resistance. Um, and then we seem to have backed away, and and you know I think that there have been a couple of news items that have that have been uh, helping that, um, namely the the news out of China that that Apple will be restricted in sales to government officials, um, and that's kind of weighed on on that market leader. Um, and you know when we take a look inside some of the other areas in the market, um, you know semiconductor stocks have been leadership most of the year. Um, and, and it's been concentrated around the AI theme. And we really have seen semiconductor stocks start to roll over here in, in the last week or so. We had a gap to the downside earlier this week, um, and, and they're sitting right on uh, a pretty important uh, chart areas in terms of, uh, of both relative performance to the S&P 500 and absolute performance. Um, you know, whether this this Apple news, which, you know, quite honestly, when when we look at the big picture scheme of things, it, it really shouldn't be all that material to, to earnings or revenues in, in, in China or anywhere else. Um, it's more of a sentiment issue. 
And, and you know, when when we think about um, where where markets sit today, uh, the tech shares could could come under some pressure as we we move through the back half of this month and into October. Um, and, and you know, that kind of goes to a larger theme that I've been been harping on lately, and that is that you know, seasonals don't really uh, don't really dominate markets. We don't spend a lot of time talking about it, but we do see seasonals provide both headwinds and tailwinds at different times of the year. Um, and you know we're we're right in the teeth of the the seasonal headwind from from uh, mid August to to mid October, and you know we think that that is likely going to uh, be something that that continues to weigh on on the market here in the near term. And the same thing goes for volatility. You know I put another chart in the the key charts pack this week, uh, talking uh, about or discussing the 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 same type of pattern for volatility seasonally. Volatility tends to peak right about the same time that the market tends to bottom in October, and then and then it typically gets hammered into year end um, as we see equity markets rebound. So, you know, we we think that that's likely going to be the pattern here near term. Uh, that we're that we're probably in for a little bit more tough sledding. Uh, but you know, when we take a look at the underlying fundamentals for whether it's operating margins or or more importantly um, earnings. Uh, for the S&P 500, we see those numbers heading up and to the right, which bodes well uh, once we get through this kind of a rough patch. Rajiv, what do you think about the fixed income markets as well? Well, Brian, uh, the bond markets, uh, they've been dealing with one of the busiest uh, corporate bond new issuance sessions in over three years. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of corporate bond issuance in the investment grade space. We saw 35 companies sell new debt uh, in the U.S. primary market over the past three days. So this week's tally for investment grade uh, new issuance came out to about almost close to 60 billion in new issuance. And that's the thir third largest week of the year as far as new issuance goes. And the reason I highlight this uh, is because, uh, you know, we have another very busy calendar scheduled for next week, too. Another 30 billion expected next week. Now, September is typically a very busy uh, new issue calendar for corporate bonds. It's not something new. But what is surprising is that uh, we have uh, two things going on here. One, borrowing costs are much more higher for these investment grade issuers than we've seen in years, but they're still coming to market. Uh, I think it's a very interesting thing that we're going to see. You know, we have a CPI report coming out next week. So maybe some of these. Uh, New bond issuers are trying to get to the market before the CPI report, trying to avoid any volatility. But uh, I'm kind of looking a little more, more more deeper into why are these investment grade bonds, investment grade issuers coming out with new bonds um, where rates are higher than they've been in so many years. And I think it has a lot to do with uh, issuers want to uh, just satisfy the demand that we're seeing in the market. We're seeing a lot of investor investor demand for new new bond new bonds, new corporate bonds. And these deals are getting done, and that too with minimal spread pickup. So investors remain hungry for high-quality investment-grade debt, and these high-quality investment-grade issuers are coming to market to satisfy that debt, uh, satisfy that need. Uh, so we continue to advocate for high-quality liquid issuers in this environment, and continue to be overweight investment-grade credit. But uh, you know, it's been very interesting to see that uh, you know we haven't seen yields like this in a long time. These investment grade issuers don't really need to come to market for satisfying any working capital needs, but they're coming to market as a as a almost a cash grab, if you will, 
they're coming to market, they're, they're, they're raising cash, they're stockpiling cash, they're doing all the right things that they've been doing for the last couple of years. But they were doing all these things when rates were much lower than they are now, but they continue to do it. So, you know, if you really want to dig in a little step deeper on that as well, you may want to think about the fact that maybe these corporate bond issuers are thinking that rates are going to go higher from here. So let's get in the market now before rates go higher. If that is the case, then then that changes the sentiment about where the Fed is going to go. Or maybe these investor grade issuers are thinking, you know, rates are going to remain higher for longer. Let's get in there now. Let's just raise the cash that we need to do. Let's do the capital grab that we need to do right now. And maybe that's why they're doing it. If you look at the uh, FOMC meeting that's going to be uh, coming out September 20th, you know, the odds are that there won't be another rate hike uh, in September. The minimal odds of a 25 basis point rate hike in September, there is a 50% chance of a rate hike in, in uh, November. So maybe these issuers are trying to get there before that rate hike. But either way, it's very, very, um, it's very, very interesting that these uh, corporate bond issuers are coming out they're coming to the market, they're doing blockbuster deals, and they're doing it in a way where there's minimal spread pickup from secondary issuance, and these deals are getting done. Investors are very excited about these deals. Every single book is oversubscribed, and uh, they seem to be doing re really well. Now, the average investor-grade corporate bond spread right now remains well-contained. We've talked about this before. Uh, we're around one, 120 basis points over U.S. Treasuries on corporate bonds. With all this new issuance, the impact has to be felt somewhere. And I think the impact of all this corporate bond issuance will be felt in treasury yields. Right now we're seeing treasuries trade pretty much sideways throughout the last week. And treasury investors are waiting on the sidelines with the 10 year right now around 4.21%. The resistance point of a 10 year right now is 4.31%. So we could see the 10 year drift higher in the wake of all this new uh, bond issuance. Another important thing to focus on is uh, U.S. corporate debt spreads, uh, the sovereign debt of the U.S. It's been widening uh, for a while now. It's widening further on fears of another government shutdown. And if you look at traders of CDS, which is a uh, measure of credit risk, the U.S. is now less credit worthy than Spain. This could result in further rise in yields across the yield curve, especially in the intermediate part of the yield curve and the longer duration part of the yield curve. Uh, all of, why is uh, why is the U.S. Uh, CDS trading wider than Spain? This all stems back from that pitch downgrade that we saw in early August. And the five-year euro uh, credit default prices on U.S. sovereign debt have also moved to about 50 basis points. That's the highest level we've seen since May. So a lot of factors here are working to play. Corporate bond issuance, if I were to summarize it, corporate bond issuance is very robust. All the deals are getting done. Credit spreads are not widening on this. We continue to advocate for high-quality debt. U.S. Treasuries, however, could see a little more pain if, uh, if this corporate bond issuance continues. We could see ourselves in the 10-year drift higher. Hey, Rajiv, I'm glad you mentioned the Fed meeting coming up, and you said that there's a 50-50 chance that, that uh, they do something in November. I mean, I think you're probably right. They probably just sit September out, you know, kind of say we're still being cautious or whatever they say, and they're kind of waiting to see how things play out, uh, and, and November's a toss-up. What, what are the markets saying for next year in terms of what the Fed might do? Uh, the markets, uh, they're really anticipating a pivot next year, and that too, they're thinking about the late in the first quarter, early second quarter, that the Fed would actually cut rates. Um, that that expectation continues. The Fed has not talked about anything about a pivot yet. Uh, if you look at the 
uh, summary economic projections from the Fed. They're not talking about rate cuts to 2025. That uh, disconnect continues to be a big disconnect from market will lead to more volatility. But even at this point, I think the, uh, the market continues to anticipate that the Fed will have to not just keep rates higher for longer, but have to, that's a pause, but will have to pivot. And that pivot will come uh, sometime in the first quarter or early second quarter with a rate cut. And uh, if we don't see that rate cut, we could be in the, in the uh, midst of some more volatility in the market. And so one of the things driving the Fed, again, is the outlook for inflation. And Steve, I guess if I turn it back to you for a second, you know, inflation is something that is kind of hard to really calculate, but energy prices certainly weigh on that. And you've been talking about energy prices going higher for much of this summer, and indeed we got that. So what's your what's your crystal ball say with respect to energy prices as you think about the rest of this year? Well, I think energy prices are going to continue to, 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 to trend modestly higher from here, George. I mean, I think we've got a situation where uh, demand has has caught up with supply, and supply has uh, has been constricted both by uh, Saudi Arabia and and Russia. Um, so you know we're in a situation where um, when when we have a market like that, um, price tends to 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 go up in order to help try to correct the situation. So I definitely agree with you. Energy is going to be a headwind on inflation numbers for the balance of the year. Um, commodity prices aren't a, a, as huge an input as they used to be in CPI, so we have to keep that in mind too. Uh, but no doubt, everybody sees the uh, sees the numbers on the gasoline stations as they they drive to and from work or to the store or whatever. And you know what I, what really concerns me about potential higher energy prices is the 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 potential knock on impact on consumer sentiment, which which could could be a, a bigger drag. And that's a good segue to talk about two topics for the remainder of the year for you, George. George, what are your thoughts on the concept of the government shutdown, which is somewhat looming? And then also finishing up, where do you think we stand in terms of where we approach the general over, overall sentiment from your perspective for the end of the year? Well, Brian, the shutdown is going to be a lot of noise, right? And I don't know if that's going to be anything really substantive. I mean, those things um, happen, unfortunately, all too often in our country. And at Rajiv's point, it's probably more of a political event than an economic one. Uh, and you might see some, you know, volatility kind of sprinkle up here and there in certain parts of the credit markets or other broader parts of the financial markets. But I, I would suspect that those those things kind of subside uh, relatively quickly. There's always this kind of notion that it's kind of a, if they get prolonged, these shutdowns kind of are prolonged, you know, it could kind of cause some distortion in the economic numbers where you see kind of a slowdown and then a, a pick back up once once things reopen again. So I think that it's mostly noise and hopefully it doesn't lead to anything more than that. Rajiv's got his eyes on the on the um, default markets, which are important to watch and monitor for any longer term repercussions. But in terms of the outlook itself, probably more things at hand. You know, I think it's kind of fair to say that this year, the year of the, the word of the year rather, has been one of resilience. Right? We've talked about these things on the call where it's been a very resilient economy, and that's kind of shown through the, the stock market itself uh, to some extent too. I guess if I think about resilience, as I was kind of thinking about kind of where we're we going for the rest of the year, I think it's important to take a step back. And recognize that there's really kind of three drivers of the overall uh, economic machine. Uh, there's there's savings. You know, people have money that they can use for uh, for for purchases and for for their their leisure, and they use savings to do that. Savings now is getting kind of depleted. So I think that that driver, if you will, or that supply of capital and cash flow is starting to diminish. Uh, the second lever that that people can typically pull, pull on is borrowing. They can actually you know max up credit cards. They can take out uh, home equity loans and other things like that. 
And borrowing is, you know, also picked up this year, but it's getting more and more expensive. And at the same time, uh, it's actually getting uh, the supply of that is actually coming down. So it's going to be harder to kind of use borrowing as a source of, of, of income. And so that leaves income, basically. That's the third lever that people, and that's probably the, the biggest lever that people uh, use when they fund purchases is, is wages and income and so forth. And on that front, I think that's been probably the biggest surprise this year where wages have been uh, a bit higher, a bit stickier. So that's essentially kind of propping up uh, the income component of that. And frankly, uh, higher spending just begets, begets more income. So really one person's spending is frankly another person's income. And I suspect that you know the, the kind of the story of the week that caught my eye, in addition to things that, that Steve talked about, is this big employer called Walmart. Uh, and they talked about yes, just yesterday, or maybe it was reported yesterday, I should say, uh, that they're actually cutting back on some of their wage hikes uh, and wage increases for some of their workers. Now, I think you could probably parse out that story in a lot of different ways, but it's a pretty big story in the sense that Walmart, I just looked this up, Walmart actually employs 2.3 million workers, which is really kind of hard to get your head around, one company being uh, that big. And, and so not to draw outsized importance and not to make any big you know, statements about Walmart, good or bad, but I think it does have an economic impact that we have to acknowledge. So when I think about this all together, Brian, you know, I think we've been talking about things slowing down. We've talked about the fact that things are are kind of, I guess, kind of in play right now. The often used phrase is that a force in motion stays in motion. So we've seen this income impulse kind of ripple itself through the economy. That probably lasts a bit longer, but I do think at some point, perhaps later this year or the next, we'll continue things to slow down and moderate across the economic uh, landscape, if you will. Well, thanks for the conversation today, George, Stephen, Rajiv. We appreciate your insights. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. As always, past performance is no guarantee of future results, and we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, portfolio strategist, or financial advisor for more information, and we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, a member of FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, a member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency, USA Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investments and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not being guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. eBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2023.